this is the education show unlocking opportunities in teaching and learning through collaboration proudly brought to you by zabuza.net and once again another episode of the education show so good to have you with me i've got two very important guests today and I've been so looking forward uh, to chatting to them. And we, we kind of been play, we played email ping pong for a while, but eventually got all the diaries and everything synced. And today I am joined by Sheila Muchoraya and Liz O'Leary. And what we're going to be talking about today is anti-racism, diversity, equity, and inclusion in schools. Okay. Now, if that's not enough, we're also going to be talking about You Silence, We Amplify, the movement that is. So, Sheila is uh, an educationalist at heart, and uh, she's an advocate for social justice. And uh, Liz is an advocate for anti-racism. Let's start off with you, Sheila. Tell me a bit about Sheila. Uh, thank you so much, David, for that very warm welcome. So, yeah, Sheila is an as as an educator has been in that space for 19 odd years now. And, and I think it was actually, uh, I had a bit of a, uh, what to call it, a midlife crisis and I couldn't really afford a Harley Davidson. So it was either, you know, I carry on teaching until I'm 65 or I needed to do something different. And, <laughs> and I had the opportunity to study a little further. And uh, with what was happening in our schools, I was very fortunate uh, to get a chance to do my honors in diversity studies at the University of the Witwatersrand. And, and from there, I just found opportunities opening up and the, and the great need for um, facilitators and mentors in the space, especially for our educators. And so I left teaching and joined an, an awesome uh, organization called Cohesion Collective. And uh, through them, I am doing work in schools where we are creating spaces where these conversations can be had and equipping our teachers to be able to navigate these difficult spaces in the classroom. Wow. Okay. That is quite something. And there's so much that we're going to dive into over there. Liz, tell us a little bit about uh, about you and your background and how we got to where we are today. Well, so uh, a different, longer story for me, I think, well, distance-wise longer. I'm American and was raised in a tiny little town in, in Connecticut of less than 3,000 people in an area that was pretty limited in diversity. But our parents raised my sisters and I with open eyes, open hearts, and open minds. So from, from an early age, we were really open to the world and to new experiences. But one of the best experiences for me and, and assets in my life was that when I, from the time I was just a toddler, I had a best friend who is mixed race. And so I really was lucky to grow up with an African-American man as a father figure. Um, and Carla's mom happened to be an anti-apartheid activist. So they had moved from New York to our small town uh, and, and increased my exposure to the world. And so from a young age, I was exposed to discussions about race and social justice. And um, obviously they've had a huge influence on my life. It's amazing to think because I really wouldn't be who I am, where I am and what I'm doing without them. And um, I came to Joburg in 95, just soon after finishing university. But my, my career was primarily focused on socioeconomic transformation in terms of race and gender and housing and construction, which actually is my family's background and what I also still really have a love for. Uh, I, left a, a, I had led a nonprofit called Kutaza in that sector for nearly 15 years. What happened for, for my kind of change in, in direction um, or change in sector at least, 
was that I had realized we were making a whole lot of progress on many fronts in South Africa, but we're really still struggling with many aspects of racism. And obviously we all know that that struggle continues in the US as well. So like Sheila, I also set out to better educate myself on, on some new information and, and looked at the roots of racism and prejudice and, and read a lot of social psychology to understand what we can do about them. So that eventually brought me to children and schools. Fantastic. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't think of a better place to start than, than, than with our children and in our schools. The sad part for me, and, and we have here on the education show, we have discussed this before, is that despite our democracy, you know, we, we all had back in 19, when was it, 94, we all had such high hopes. And after a while, and, and, and the Rainbow Nation and all of those things, and after a while, it seemed like the crowd went home. And there's, there has been, as you rightly stated, massive change, but it's still a thing in this country and it's still a big thing. And it goes, when, when we talk about uh, diversity, I mean, this goes across color, it goes across race, it goes across creed, even, even gender identity. You know, it, our constitution says some wonderful things. We don't always practice that. So talk to me a little bit. Where are we going to start? Because last year, there were students and alumni uh, from some schools across the country. They made their voices heard and shared their experience of racism in schools through the Black Lives Matter, You Silence, We Amplify hashtag online. So let's, let, give, me, give us a little bit of, of background there, if you don't mind, Liz. What is You Silence, We Amplify? What sort of concerns were raised? Yeah, I, I'll mention that Sheila and I really wanted to talk about You Silence, We Amplified because through the hashtag, the students drew attention to that ongoing racism and prejudice that's really embedded throughout the society. You know, we tend to get upset about individual events, but we really need to talk about it on a societal basis and address it that way because we're not doing that nearly as well enough or urgently enough as we need to be. It needs to be an ongoing conversation, but we also have to take steps forward immediately and start working on the changes in, in our schools and society. So we, we feel that in our work with educators, we can help to amplify the student voices and prevent the silence. Just to go through uh, some of the areas of their concerns, I, I really want to encourage educators to read through the posts, to listen, to feel, to reflect, and think about how they can contribute to, to change. At the beginning of the year, I read through a whole lot of the posts again. And the thing that stood out the most was pain. And you can just see that our students are hurting. And if we, are, and, if we and I say this as educators, it, it is other students, but it's also educators. If we're hurting them in school, how can we expect them to learn and to thrive? So a number, I, I grouped together a number of the issues that were addressed or that were raised by the students and, and more recent alumni. Uh, you know, we, we could tell you this, it's racist and prejudiced comments and jokes. We know all of this is not appropriate. Um, derogatory comments that generalize, stereotyping and prejudice, um, you know, referring to certain groups and saying things about that group and even, you know, just joking about it is hurtful. Um, and what's behind that? What beliefs are behind that? Uh, racist name calling and dehumanizing. You know, this is week after week that we keep hearing these things. 
unfortunately, the K word and the N word continue to be used. It makes the media and then it still is used again as if we, we can't learn our lesson. These are issues of basic respect. You know, hair and skin color comments, hair policies, harassment, it's where you've got a headline again here this week, bullying and policing of hair, African languages not being allowed in school or lack of, of options for African language classes, comments that black students should feel grateful to be at certain schools. Let's think about that. Black students being made to feel less intelligent than white students, predominantly white leadership and teachers at schools at many of the independent and former Model C score at schools, and issues around names and mispronouncing names, not using somebody's give it their name or giving them another. And then of course, silence. You know, that they framed this use silence, we amplify because too many times teachers aren't standing up when they've heard something. They aren't speaking out, they aren't calling each other in and suggesting that we change the language being used in our schools. Concerns are being swept under the rugs. Silence enables racism to continue. Um, and you know, really these are just so many of them. I just found it to be basic aspects of respect, but it's disrespect. You know, just, just to actually end that part of it there with a quote, um, just to frame all of this in love. Uh, a quote from Jamila Pitts, an advisory board member of Learning for Justice, which used to be known as Teaching Tolerance. She writes, but anti-racist educators understand that love and silence are deeply contradictory. The love that underpins our practice is not the form of love often associated with passivity and inaction. For anti-racist educators, love is action. Love is sharp. Love is truth-telling. Love is fighting for what is right. Love is doing what is right. Wow. Yeah. Powerful stuff there. One of the things, though, and, and uh, maybe, Sheila, before we move on, you can weigh in on this. One of the things, you know, going up in the, 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 the dark days and everything and, and, and living through that and the change and you know, one of the things that has struck me is fear. And, and, and you know, we can't blame fear or racism entirely on fear, but there, there is such a lot of fear left still in this country. Sheila, do, do, does that ring true for you? Do you find that? Absolutely, David. In the work that we're doing in the schools, every single facilitation that we're in, those descriptors are so prominent. Fear, anxiety. And I think it's to do with the space having changed so much for our educators. We are raising kids who are open, outspoken, which is fantastic because we keep saying that we are raising kids for the next generation, kids who are critical thinkers, uh, students who will make a difference in the world. And so what's happening now, which is very exciting, but very daunting for those in the schools, is that those very same students are starting to speak up and say something is not quite right here. Something that was not done in the past. I mean, if I look back at my experience at school, I was very fortunate to go to an elite girls school and, and my parents dropped me off beginning of the term and I never saw them again until the end of the term. And if there were any issues or concerns with regards to what was happening in my school, it was left for the school to deal with because they believed in the system, number one. And secondly, they were so grateful that we were in those schools. We were the minority in these schools. So there was definitely that aspect of, I need to be grateful to be here. I can't now raise my voice and make noise and now become a nuisance because then I will then be basically um, um, not 
I won't look as if I'm, being, I'm grateful to be here. But what's changed over the years, and, and that's what we've seen with you silence and we amplify, is that the students are saying, no, we want to speak about this. This is actually not on. And so I joke a lot about my midlife crisis and trying to figure out who I was after teaching for 19 odd years. Because it was after I started reading those comments that I thought, well, this is me. This is me 25, 30 years ago. And nothing has changed. There's still policing here. I, I can't speak my language fluently because I was never allowed to when I was at school. The English teachers would tell my parents that if you want Sheila to get better English marks or to fit in much quicker, you need to practice speaking English with her at home. And so I think in English, I count in English. My nursery rhymes are in English because of that. And when we were doing it, it was for the betterment of my educational career. But now when I look and I sit, I'm thinking I've lost who I am. So my identity crisis has come in from who actually is Sheila? If you take off those layers of, of, um, of whiteness, those layers of having been in these, these, these private elite spaces, who actually is Sheila? And it became a question that I kept asking myself because now as a parent of children who was also in those schools, I'm now having to be very deliberate in how I speak to them about these kind of concerns. And that to allow them to speak up in class when something is not done right. And so the teachers are very fearful of those conversations because they are not equipped to deal with them. Um, their biases, the blind spots that obviously they are yet to unpack are all that, that deters them from having these conversations. And, and I think that is what our work is all about, coming into the spaces and saying, well, this is what it is, guys. Okay, you are the minority. So your experience in the schools is for white people only. So those of us coming in who are not white, we are having to assimilate these spaces. And so you might find that my ease of being in the space looks as if it's very normal for me and therefore I'm very happy in the space, but I have mastered that practice to fit in so well that you can't even see my color anymore, but it is not my norm. And so unpacking that with the staff members and giving them tools is what we've been trying to do so that that fear and anxiety can then be dealt with so they can actually start working with the real matter and content at hand. Because the students are feeling that it is all lip, we're all giving, we're not really tackling these matters. And it's because, first of all, the headmaster himself is white and has no idea how to deal with these matters. And so once we get past that fear and anxiety, then we can start seeing real progress in our schools and in our classroom. So yes, to answer your question, fear very much um, an aspect in our schools at the moment. When we talk fear, I mean, it's, it's also, it's, you know, it's, it's fear of, of other people, fear of anything or anybody that is different from us, yeah. you know, and, and that to me is so sad because in the times that I've seen where people have reached out, even when I've interacted with friends, I mean, I, I was I was going into into townships and uh, after my military service where I wasn't forced to go and I was going in there to go and meet some mates and you know I was like okay I'm going to go this is and it was a totally new experience and it was yeah. a wonderful experience never mind all the doom and gloom and people telling me I was going to get killed. I, I had a great experience and, you know, we'd, we'd like to think that, you know, people don't see color or difference because I think difference is also becoming more and more of a, a, a problem and a challenge. Liz, 
Talk about this hashtag YSWA and, and, you know, give me a bit about that. Why is it important and why are we still tackling these issues? As, as we said earlier on, almost 30 years into this democracy of ours. Well, I, I think that that fear is part of it. And, and a big part of that really is around fear of change overall and fear with new situations and fear of the unknown. And I, in terms of social psychology, there are a lot of people who are much more comfortable with, with hierarchy, which is something that really is um, plaguing us, I would say. <laughs> uh, we really need to challenge issues of, hi of hierarchy. But we, we have moved away from, I don't know, I guess, it, again, with issues around anti-racism, racism is not going away on its own. So we have hoped that it would, and I think many of us were kind of innocently hopeful that change would just happen on the, at the onset of democracy. And you know, 26 years into this, that has not happened. So really what we need to think about in terms of anti-racism and tackling the fears around you know, race and, and prejudice is really just to, to be intentional about it. And it's going to be something that we're all going to have to work on and, and have the conversations throughout our lifetimes. This isn't a one, one day workshop, isn't going to, to assist here that can help us with some starting points and some tools to use, but it's really going to be an ongoing process. But that can be interesting. And, and if we look at it in terms of new experiences, and again, these are some of the greatest things for children. Integrated schools are essential. Opening kids' experiences to have new, you know, bring in new, new perspectives, cross-group friendships, contact is, is um, a, a well-known theory that is used and has shown to reduce prejudice. But we also have to, it's Obviously, racism is bigger than just prejudice itself, so it really needs to be addressed from all lots and lots of different avenues. And it needs to be a holistic approach. And really, in schools, it needs to be every aspect every day for the sake, but I think kind of for the sake of this discussion, we're focusing more on, on what we were looking at in terms of um, you silence, we amplify. So, so give me an, uh, just an overview of, of what you silence, we amplify, that hashtag. What is that all about? So that was, as we mentioned at the beginning, the you silence, we, you, you silence, we amplify hashtag was part of the Black Lives Matter movement during last year when students and alumni took to social media to share their experiences. And so I think, I mean, I had done it, gone through a bit of an overview of what some of, some of what they had raised there. But it, it really is important that people go in, and especially educators listening to this, that they go in and they read the personal stories that people have shared and, and think about it from that personal perspective. All right. And, and if, if they wanted to do that, they would just go onto what, onto social media and put in that hashtag YSWA, and that it, it would then bring up a lot of that content? Yes, um, there's an Instagram page that is hashtag you silence, we amplify. And there are also some posts on Twitter. And there are a number of articles that were also um, written either by students or about some of the, the work that students were doing and some of the issues that were being addressed at schools last year. So you can also just Google that and, and look for media articles as well. But it is important to read the students' own words. I would, I would agree with you 100% there because I think that was uh, something that can be very, very eye-opening. One of the things uh, 
Liz, that we said right at the very beginning is that you are an advocate for anti-racism. Now, tell me, explain the two to me, okay? Define racism and anti-racism. Well, I'll say I'm an an advocate for anti-racism, diversity, equity, and inclusion, because I think we need all of them, uh, and they work together. But when we talk about racism, first, we have to just remember and, and continuously remind ourselves that race is a social construct. It's not biological, but it's how people have chosen to categorize and base social hierarchy on as well. Uh, And it does, our racial groupings do impact how we experience life. And so it is important to talk about them and, and to not be colorblind. You know, children do see difference. We all are infinitely different from each other. And, and children notice that from an early age. There's nothing wrong with difference. I think this is part of the thing. You know, this is again where we have human beings have put value on those differences. They are not inherently different in terms of value. So racism involves prejudice, which is how we generally think about it. And we think about interpersonal racism, but it's also characterized by power, dominance, Um, beliefs around superiority or inferiority, and discrimination. And obviously in South Africa, this was also legalized discrimination and separation. And I I guess, you know, one of the things you have to point out with racism is that it's really multidimensional, and this is the challenge in attacking it, because it's multidimensional in its source and the way it manifests um, both in our brains, but also in, in society. So there are psychological aspects of it, social, economic, and so on. It can play out on an individual basis, institutional basis, and on the whole, you know, countrywide systemic basis as well. And, you know, let's admit this. Unfortunately, this is an international issue as well. So anti-racism itself really is about working to address, intentionally working to address, and to dismantle racism in all of those different manifestations. And it means we as individuals also have to you know, constantly be unlearning the racist social messaging and conditioning that we've all been affected by every single one of us. So I would like to see us move beyond that discussion of whether somebody is a racist or not. All of us are affected by racism and we all have um, beliefs inside of us that are affected by that society that we grew up in. And you can find, you can identify them. I mean, I actually think it's quite interesting when you start to notice your biases and become more and more aware of them and you can challenge them and you can change them. And you can also change them even just from opening yourself up to new experiences and new people, um, widening your perspectives. But it, again, it's something that we're going to have to constantly be doing and, and to be intentional about it. We need the school communities, and I say school communities, meaning the educators, the staff, the students, the leaders, the families, and the the overall community involved in a school to be intentional about doing this work. Absolutely. And I mean, this is the perfect platform uh, with, you know, Zabuza.net and uh, their whole network as well, which is one of the reasons we're really glad to have you guys on the show. Let's move back to you, Sheila, if you don't mind, because... You said you you were an educator for what, 19, 20 odd years. You've mentioned that you were a parent. Were you working in school during the the, the, the peak of, of the, the, the movement last year? 
And if so, what were some of your thoughts and what were you hearing from your fellow educators, from students? So, yes, um, I was working in, in, in schools during that time. And, um, and it was so interesting, David, to see the different responses from different schools. First of all, I mean, we spoke about that, um, the fear that you mentioned about, you know, fear of the unknown. And, 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 and I did find that the fear to be then be that next school on the front paper or the headlines was, was a palpable one. You could feel it in the, in the space that we're working. And I think that was very sad. Because I think instead of actually focusing on, well, this is a very, very important, permanent, pertinent matter. How do we tackle that? The fear was more about let's deal with it in a way that we should never be found on the newspaper. Because my goodness, that would then obviously have an impact on our marketing and our brand. But there was very much... Um, a feeling of what do we do? There was a panic. There was, you know, how do we, it was, I, I felt very much, how do we keep them quiet um, and deal with it behind the scenes? And I think the brave schools are the ones who said, you know what, we are here, bring the alumni in, let's bring in those, those students in and let them speak so that we can actually listen. Because I think half of the time, we don't always want or we, we are very aware that the solutions are not immediate and they're not going to be quick wins all the time. But I think the very most important step that the schools need to be taking is listening. Stop and listen. Don't make excuses. Don't, you know, bypass the point. Don't say, well, yes, I understand, but this has, you know, we've done X, Y, Z. Just listen, validate those students that we were speaking. And then from there, you now start and say, okay, well, how can we then make it better? And the only way that you can also start making it better is by including those voices that have been speaking into the solution think tank. Because without those voices, you are going to end up doing the same thing you've been doing for years. So if I look at many of our schools, the exec management team is all white. Or if it's not why possibly the person of color in that team is the one who's taking down the minutes, who happens to be the PA for the headmistress, the PA for the headmaster. So how do we make it better? How do we unpack what those students have been saying, the alumni have been saying, if the people who are sitting at those boardrooms who are making the decisions going forward remain the same? There are no diverse voices coming through those solution think tanks. So, yes, I think there were very different ways that the schools tried to manage the situation. And those that listened and owned up and said, we take note, we hear it, we acknowledge our bias, we acknowledge this has happened to you, fared better than those who tried to, first of all, sweep it under the carpet and, and try to keep ourselves out of the media as much as possible at the detriment of those who are trying to be heard. They didn't fare as well. I mean, if I remember clearly, there was the one school that eventually lost their headmaster because he had no idea how to tackle the matter. And the students felt he kept sweeping under the carpet and they eventually called for his dismissal. And he did. He eventually lost his job because of that. Um, so this is a very serious matter. And I think the more braver the schools are, the more likely they'll make more of a progressive pro uh, outcome in the long run. Because you know what, I think at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think anybody goes out and decides that I am, well, I, I believe in the innate good of all people, but I don't think you, you sort of make this decision that I'm going to go out and be a hateful person or this or that. I think at the end of the day, we all want to get along better. We all want to understand people better. And, and we just need a little push, a little nudge to, to, to sort of point us in the right direction and start to work. And you know, my business is as a communicator, and I think communication is absolutely king. Where mm. 
do we go from here? So, so what is what should schools be doing? What can teachers, parents, students? Where do we start? Sheila, we'll start off with you because I'm chatting to you, and then we can move over to Liz. Th thanks. No problem at all. So firstly, I think we need to realize that schools are communities um, and there are various stakeholders um, that hold these communities together. So whilst the, the, the child is often the one we put in the forefront of all that we do in our schools, um, school spaces, we need to realize that without the parental um, input, without the educators, without the governing bodies slash the trustees who are helping to run these schools, as well as most importantly and often forgotten, the support staff, because they are the ones who actually are holding these institutions up. And so we need to be creating spaces where if we look at our committees and whoever's making the decisions in our schools, that those diverse voices are being heard. Because as our school standard, and again, I'm obviously generalizing here, and I'm looking at more at the private, your elite schools when I, when, I, when I speak like this, because those spaces have remained very white, whether it is in their structures, in their system, in their policies, in the events that they celebrate, in their hair policies, the uniform policies, you can go to town on that. And if we are to say we are wanting an inclusive educational system um, where kids of all color, all gender, or whatever that diversity marker is, feel that they are welcome, we need to have people that represent those markers sitting at those different tables so that when decisions are made with regards to the welfare and the well-being of each child in that school, that those voices do come into the room and are heard. Otherwise, we just keep doing it the way it's been done for the 150 years that we have been operational. And, and that is where I think the issue is. So for me, diverse voices in the various platforms, number one, is very important. Number two, our recruitment. Our recruitment becomes paramount because as the demographics of our schools continue to change, our students are looking up for those role models in their spaces. And if we carry on having the same role model where the person of color is either the teacher assistant or the one working in the garden or in the tea, or the tea lady, then we are not changing that narrative. We are speaking about it, but there's no actual change on the ground. So a child who goes through school from grade triple naught to matric who's never been taught by a black teacher what are we then saying about black competence and what are we saying about blackness as a whole? So again, we can't have policies that are sitting in cupboards when our recruitment is such that it still looks the same it did 20, 30 years ago. So our recruitment becomes very, very important. Thirdly, education. We need to be educating those different communities, the different stakeholders in the communities. So we are currently looking at building a curriculum um, that looks at infiltrate, not infiltrating sounds like I'm you know, a, a spy, but bringing in the education space uh, or education into the schools from the very young age of grade triple, not all the way up to, up to matric. People say kids don't see color. Kids do see color. The difference is that they don't have the same value added judgments on color that we as adults have learned throughout our lifetime to then to give. So they see color, they see the peach friend, they see their caramel friend. What they don't see is that blackness is not always synonymous with competence. However, with time, as they're watching and growing through the system, they eventually pick that up too, because my teachers are all white. That must mean black teachers can't teach. So although it might not be overtly saying it, the system is still perpetuating it. So we need to be educating in the same way where we have your LO syllabus that looks at 
sexual education uh, looks at different aspects of you know what one needs to succeed in life we need to be putting in diversity inclusion curriculum into the system so that the children are aware and that it is not something that they are then having to be forced to be doing in a workshop when they are now employed and have no choice but to now you know be part of that workshop as a result of whatever be compliance that the company is under and so I think those are the three main things that we need to be looking for in the future and also just remember that this is a long journey there are no quick wins with this journey. And I think many schools are also under the impression that, you know, you bring in a, a firm, they do a workshop or two, and voila, it all, it all works out. There is no ways. In the same way that we have um, educational package, packages for teaching on coronavirus, the same way we've tackled um, HIV AIDS in the past 20 odd years, it is continuous. It's not going to happen after one or two staff development sessions. So it becomes a continuous journey that the school needs to ensure that they're doing and that the value is taken seriously right from the trustee, the chairman of trust, right through to the teacher assistant and the staff that are also supporting these institutions at hand. Fantastic stuff. Let's move over quickly and see if uh, Liz has anything to add to that. Because, uh, wow, Sheila, you've certainly, you've certainly said a whole lot there. And just before we get over to Liz, I must tell you the one thing that you just mentioned, and, and I just found it absolutely amazing. Uh, this past weekend, uh, we spent some time with friends of ours, and uh, her little girl referred to her friends and, and the people at school as peach people or brown people. And, and that was her yeah. thing. And I th- just thought, I've never, ever heard that before. And now you mentioned the peach and the brown. I think that's, that's quite fascinating because they see color, but there's no judgment behind the color that they see, which is amazing. Anyway, um, let's move along and uh, see what Liz has to say. Liz? Yeah, thanks so much. And Sheila, thank you for covering all of those, those aspects. I think that's why Sheila and I love doing this work is that there's so much that can be done. And honestly, the personal growth aspect of it also is so fulfilling. Mm. I think, you know, if we go back and think of our childhood and as human beings, we all love to learn and grow. And if you look at it from that perspective and approach it from that perspective, it really is amazing work to do. And, and that's really why I want to encourage educators to, to take the steps. Um, So just to to think directly to any educators who are listening to this today, you know, I I always say, let's start with ourselves. And I'll say this for me. I mean, this this is an everyday ongoing process and it will be forever. Um, But I, you know, I can understand that I was not here for all of the past 400 years and did not build everything as to the level it is now um, in terms of, of racism and prejudice and in our societies, but I can take responsibility every day for improving myself, for interrogating my own thoughts, um, and for contributing to a better future. And that really is, you know, it's a great experience and you gain so much from it, but our societies overall have so much to gain from it. So just to go practical, so I I always say, let's start with ourselves and that self-reflection and learning are going to be ongoing. But to, to encourage the educators, if you haven't started already, do it now. You can also look, I host the DEI group on the ZA Learning Collaborative and, and share a whole lot of resources there. So you can go and find resources and read. Um, maybe pick up something every day or pick up a new word every day or, or read an article each week. Uh, I've also been writing a series of articles actually based on New Silence We Amplify and the language used in schools. I'm calling them school talk. 
Um, so I encourage educators and parents to read those for ideas and resources uh, and, to, and to listen to your own language. If we think, I know I have experiences from my own education where some of the teachers were unfortunately quite negative and, and harmful with us. Just ask yourself, you know, each day or after every class, um, does the language I'm using empower each and every student and all groups of students? Or is it disempowering? Are some people disempowered? Am I making comments that may, even if I think that they're a joke or I think that I'm doing it, you know, harmlessly, am I unintentionally hurting people? And you can ask the students for feedback. You know, a, a couple of things, I'll just finish on this also, but if you genuinely move in this direction and the students know that you're, you're working on this now, if they trust you and you develop a relationship with them that, where they know that your interest is genuine, they'll give you positive feedback or constructive feedback, I should say. It may not always be positive, um, but that's what you want. You want that constructive feedback to be able to, to hear from them. Am I saying something that's hurting my students? Um, have that conversation with them. Ask them, is anything, is language that I'm using in the classroom hurting anyone? Are there better words? You know, certain words are outdated. You know, language is changing. So just learning that, the new vocabulary, I guess we can say. And you can have those conversations with the students. You can have the conversations with, with other educators and work together in this. I think the other thing is that there are power in numbers. So find a group of teachers who are interested in learning more um, and contributing to change. And maybe you start a book club or you start a you know, discussion session peer coaching type of thing where you share feedback with each other and so on. But take those steps. And I think just addressing the, the fear aspect of it is sometimes we think that this is just such a big, huge issue that we're afraid to move forward. And it seems like we'll never be able to learn everything. So I, I'm, and I'm afraid, so I'm gonna remain silent. I'm afraid to say the wrong thing. But taking the small steps forward, you do, you gain the practice, you gain the skills to be able to talk about it. Um, you gain the comfort in it, and you, you're able to take bigger and bigger steps. I mean, obviously, all of us are, are different in our, our um, place in, the, in this journey, but start from where you are and just start taking those steps. Wonderful stuff. Thank you so much there, Liz. Okay, so somebody's listening now, whether it be an educator, a parent, um, maybe the principal, somebody that's associated, whatever the case may be, if they wanted to reach out and contact you guys, because I'm guessing you guys work together a lot, where would they do that? How would they get hold of you guys to put their hands up and go, okay, look, I'm lost. I'm, I need some help. So can they contact you? Number one. Number two, where can they contact you? And number three, are you happy to be contacted? Can I go there, David? Um, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we are based at, I'm based at Cohesion Collective. Um, so if they just look up cohesioncollective.com, they'll find me with absolute pleasure. We encourage staff, we encourage parents, we encourage um, any stakeholders within that uh, educational space to reach out. And uh, so we are available on cohesioncollective.com. And with pleasure, they can reach out and we'll be gladly um, respond and, and assist wherever we can. And um, people can contact me at liz at kutaza.co.za or the website is kutaza.co.za. And also I encourage the educators to look at the ZA Learning Collaborative uh, and the DEI group there in particular for resources. Wonderful stuff. Ladies, thank you. We're out of time. 
But wow, what a conversation. Hopefully we can have more of these uh, in the coming weeks and months. But uh, I would just like to say thank you once again and for taking the time out and having a chat to us on the Education Show. Wraps it up for this edition. Until next time, take care, look after yourselves, and thank you for listening. That was the Education Show. Simply learn. Join the conversation on zibuza.net. That's Z-I-B-U-Z-A dot net.